If it's a good movie, the sound could go off and the audience would still have a pretty clear idea of what's going on. The wise and relevant words of Alfred Hitchcock kicks off today's episode of the Second Day Film Podcast. It's the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. It is Wednesday, October 21st. I'm Brandon Champion. Evan Dean is is once again not joining us, but he has vowed to make an appearance on the next episode for whatever that's worth. Uh, alas, we press forward. I'm joined, as always, by Michigan Man of the Year, Mike Nichols. Uh, Mike, I don't know the rules, if there are any, but uh, is the Michigan Man of the Year allowed to live in Texas? Well, since it's a made-up fake award that I gave to myself, I guess I can do whatever I want with it. So yes, I can be Michigan Man of the Year and live in Texas. Uh, yeah, and that's kind of like a fun, this is our this is our first uh like state, like over the states, we're doing this. I'm I'm in Austin, Texas now. I moved here, got my keys to the new apartment uh, just just yesterday, and uh, yeah, looking forward to like starting a new chapter here in my life. But not going anywhere on the podcast. Don't you worry. Champ was nice enough to let me take the mic with me. That's right. This man gave me a mic so I could continue to do this podcast with you guys. And don't worry. Even though Evan seems to uh, not be with us tonight. I'm still here, guys. Don't worry. It's a mic for Mike, buddy. That's that's what it is. Oh, you know, you, thanks, you need Cam. your mic. Yeah. Well, you, thanks, you two buddy. belong together. You two belong together. So we yeah. wanted to make sure you had at least one friend to start off down there. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It is. A, it's a weird time to move to a new place when you're like you can't really go out and so, like you know go to a bunch of places because things are closed or you just want to be safe and be smart about social distancing. So it's hard to make a social splash in a new city when you're practicing social distancing, but I'll figure out a way. At least I have the mic. At least I have the well, mic. Well, the, sec- the second day film club is officially a multi-state club. We have Evan down in sunny Florida. We have Mike in Texas, and I'm still here in Michigan where it's beautiful this time of year. The colors are still changing. I, I went for a hike yesterday and it was glorious, um, mm-hmm. but winter, winter, winter is coming as the Starks like to say. Not for uh, me. So- not for yeah. me anymore. No seasonal depression for me this year. It's just all going to be sunny all throughout the winter months, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. hopefully when, if, you know, God willing, when this when this pandemic is over and South by Southwest opens back up, I will be our man on the ground at some yeah. of the, the best film uh, film festival experiences our country has to offer. So that'll be a good addition to the Second Day Film Podcast. Good South point, by Southwest man. Correspondence. Good point. The South by Southwest correspondent. I might have to make an ex- that gives me an excuse to go down there and actually attend that festival, which is something I've always wanted to do. So uh, let's. Yeah, that would be fun. Well, let's let's table it for later. Uh, coming up on today's show, Mike and I will be reviewing three films we've seen recently, including Christopher Nolan's highly anticipated new film, Tenet, uh, which may or may not fit into Mr. Hitchcock's quote that I used to lead off the show. Uh, but please join the conversation uh, by liking the Second Day Film Podcast on Facebook. Please rate and review the podcast on any podcast platform really goes a long way in helping people find us and find the show. There's a lot of film podcasts out there these days, uh, many of which I, I listen to and like. We're part of a podcast group on Twitter um, that we all share each other's stuff. So uh, definitely check them out and give them reviews, too. But uh, if you could do the same for our show, it would be very much appreciated. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter on and on Instagram. Um, so we would appreciate it if you did that. Uh, Mike, you ready to get into this? Let's do it. 
All right, cool. So to start off today's show, uh, as we've been doing lately, we've been diving into a lot of documentaries. Um, and one that's sort of been making the waves and making some noise on the internet is uh, The Social Dilemma. This movie is directed by Jeff Orlovsky, um, and the plot summary on IMDb, uh, The Social Dilemma explores the dangerous human impact of social networking with tech experts sounding the alarm on their own creations. Um, so super interesting topic, something Mike and I, I know are as people who use social media quite frank, frequently are definitely interested in this topic. Um, Mike, uh, you were really the one pushing for us to watch the, and review this movie. So what is it about the social dilemma that intrigued you? So, yeah, like, like you said, champ, like you and I are both people who, who use social media for, for work reasons, for professional reasons. We, we kind of have some behind the scenes, like knowledge of it. And even though what the social dilemma reveals is how, like, how deep data mining goes, the idea of surveillance capitalism, the idea of political addiction, uh, like, you you really don't know how deep it does go until you watch this, um, until you start doing deeper research. Like, these are things I knew, like, surface level, but then when you watch them laid out and you see how much data they're really mining on you, like how much of a digital construct of you is essentially being built for a kind of like cold corporate uh, greed machine that's really just using you as the product itself. Like there's that old business line, like if, if you're not buying a product, you are the product. And the, the, the movie just, the documentary does a great job of really like raising the alarm on, hey, it's gone too far. Like there are deep, serious uh, social and political and geopolitical consequences to this. Um, it, it uses a, a very interesting form of documentary storytelling where it does both real people with real interviews. And then there is a fictional story with actors that they're kind of weaving through along the plot. It tells a story of, of uh, a young man named Ben who... Uh, is is kind of getting addicted to his smartphone and social media, and it explores like what his life is becoming as a young person who's getting addicted to social media and the trouble it gets him in. And some of the stuff in that little fictional storyline was actually very relatable. Like even as a grown man, it's just like wow, like I I kind of do all that stuff too a little bit. And I think um, if you watch it, you're going to see a lot of maybe your own social media habits in this documentary and in that special fictional part of the movie. But definitely you're going to see um, all the ways that social media is being um, used, not maybe intentionally, but is causing harm in our society. Yeah, very, I mean, very, very powerful. So, yeah, I mean, so social media is, you know, that it's something I'm very familiar with. I, I use it in my job on a daily basis. Um, right. so, so some of the stuff in the documentary is stuff that I know and I'm aware of, but I think, you know, one of the main reasons you make documentaries is to raise awareness for things or, or whatever. And, um, you know, because I use it and I'm trained in using it and I know about SEO and I get stories from social media and write them and then put them back on social media for them to be sent out again. I'm somewhat aware of like what happens and what's going to work on social media and how we're trying to wrap people in. But even saying all that, this I learned a lot from this documentary in terms of the psychology of social media in terms of, you know, sort of the inside baseball stuff that the developers are talking about and how it's formulating to, to an individual person and how it's, it's very eye opening and how like every person you who uses social media is seeing a different thing. 
um, and and sort of how I love the quote at the beginning. You know, nothing vast enters the life of mortals without a curse. I think it was yeah. uh, Sophocles. I think that's yeah. the quote they they throw out right at the beginning. And just that idea that like social media is like this game changing force that is quite literally changing things. You know day by day in a debt and is adapting and changing at a far faster rate than our human brains can adapt is, is both fascinating and terrifying. It's also getting so big to the point that even the creators don't necessarily have a full handle on it. Like they've created Mm -hmm. these algorithms and these technological platforms that are kind of becoming their own AI a little bit. And it's working with like deadly kind of accuracy in some ways but it's also out of their out of the creator's control too in a lot of ways cuz they didn't even realize what they were creating. It's not like these are all it's not like everyone behind the scenes at Facebook or Twitter are all these evil monsters, but like they've created uh, a digital system that is kind of beyond their own scope as as, as individual humans and that's where it gets kind of scary. Yeah, I mean, the, the so like, this, you know, we can sit here and talk about this, the topics that the documentary raises all night, you know, super interesting stuff to talk about and relevant stuff. I want to try and focus our review sort of like on the movie and how like what what it does well. And like I said, I think the, the thing that it does well is it really weighs, raises awareness, shows the inside baseball. It, it makes you think about the psychology of social media and they sort of compare it to how like you're playing like the rush you get when you play slot machines at the casino or, or for me who likes to, you know, play small sports bets. It's, it's that rush you get when something new is going to happen or someone's going to engage with you or, or like something is, it's just that rush. It's a similar rush to that. So I thought the documentary did a really good job of getting into sort of the things that are happening without you actually noticing it happening. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the documentary thrived in my eyes. Yeah, what, what were I, I, I want to ask? What were like some things you learned where you're like, "That's a fact that blew my mind," or that was like a moment where they discussed this issue that I was like, "I kind of knew, but I didn't. I wasn't aware of how bad it was." I, the two things that stood out to me for sure were the depression rates going up in children. Like mm-hmm. kid, like you know, we grew up like you and I. Like I think we were like that first generation of college students that was using Facebook because, like, you know, when we came in, Facebook had just been launched. And I was, I remember I was on Facebook when you could only use it if you had a college email and some colleges didn't even have it yet. Um, but now it's like children are growing up in this and there's this, you know, there's this culture of online bullying and harassment and just, just even like the weird social games, you know, how kids are like, now you're taking that and putting it into the whole world. Now it's not like, Oh, your friend, like a friend just said a mean thing about you. Now it's like your friend said something mean. And now people from Colorado and China and like all they're all like jumping in and just shaming you. Like the whole internet is now like right there constantly making sure you don't ever like feel like you're worthy anymore. Like it's a really Mm -hmm. tough thing for kids. And then the other thing that I thought was just super scary was the way with politics, um, you know, it does silo people off. Like you are not looking at the same like Facebook or Twitter timeline as other people. Like you're mm-hmm. seeing a bunch of different news stories that are coming from the things you want to read and the things that it thinks you'll react and click on and stuff. Even though it's like, Hey, that's not showing you a fully objective picture. Like it's just showing you literally what it thinks you need to see. And that silos you off. So you think, well, I'm seeing all this stuff. How come all these other people aren't like, like reading this or how come they don't? Cause they're literally not seeing it. 
Facebook is not showing it to them. Like those, like the way we're being siloed off politically, the guy said at the end, he's like, what do you think is a real harm that come? He's like, honestly, civil war. Like hearing a guy who was like one of the creators of it, like talk that frankly. And that like, like he's genuinely concerned. We'd see it in five years. Like that's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, that guy was, I mean, he's clearly smart and he's clearly insightful. He also seems like a little bit of a maniac to me. Um, But uh, you know, (laughs) I, I, uh, okay. uh, well, I, I mean, one of the beefs I did have with the with the documentary is it's a little too dramatic at times. I like, yeah, what this made, is. What made you think he was a maniac? Oh, I don't know. Many, <laughs> just I'm not going to get into it. But I think the film <laughs> is a little a little too dramatic at times. Like, like, yeah, this is clearly an issue we need to deal with, and social media is clearly like this new emerging thing that we don't know all the intended consequences that are going to happen yet, but acting like the world is going to end because of social media, eh, it seemed a little much to me. Uh, something else that I, that I, that I didn't love. You mentioned how they sort of do the docudrama style where we follow Ben. I, I kind of felt like the dramatized part of this was kind of cringy. I didn't feel like the acting was particularly good. I didn't feel like it fit into the documentary very well. And actually it sort of took me out of the documentary. I kind of would have preferred a little bit more straightforward, um, then I, I don't know. It just didn't quite work for me. The, the mock or the docudrama stuff. Did you didn't see, it didn't seem to bother you. Maybe it would have worked a little bit better. Had they just followed real people? Um, yeah. the fact that it was like, you knew it was actors. Like it, it did feel a little bit preachy in that way, but I mean, I thought it was all very true, relatable stuff. Like it's very accurate to what's going on. So, all right, what would you? What would you? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, oh, I got a question. Do you should so? Do you think social media needs a governing body like the FCC? Um, I I would be interested to see what it would look like, but because yeah, it seems I, like that's what a lot of pe- those people were sort of pining for a little bit. Like we need some sort of oversight because they're. I think that they basically said they're like govern self governing at this point. So, yeah, well, I mean, there's been those questions for years, like about, and we even, we, I mean, we used to talk about this in, in college, like media law classes where we were discussing like, you know, what does the law say about if you take this photo and someone shares it on Facebook or someone takes this other image and uses it here without credit, like at some point, like there has to be some kind of like governing system to, you know, organize, you know, wrongs, but, uh, you know, what does that look like? I don't know. But I do think that, yes, like, eventually we probably will see some kind of governing body for some kind of social media platform structure, just because I, I feel it is it is getting necessary. Like, mm-hmm. we're, it's getting like that there. They do have another quote at the end with which was, um, you know, the baton of like human survival, basically, like, like, you never know if it's gonna like make it until the last pass. Like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a relay race right up to the end, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so we'll see. I, I think yeah. it'd be a good thing though. It could be. Seems like we're heading that way down the road, but so my qualms and, and slight beefs aside, I, I did like this movie. I think, you know, like I said, I'm, I think I'm a little more tuned into stuff like this than people who don't work in media and don't work with social media every day. But uh, I like that they had the little tips at the end, you know, to trying to keep, 
teach people to be more responsible, you know, double check info, don't click on recommended videos, putting age limits on social media, don't click on clickbait because you're just perpetuating the problem. I'm glad they threw those in there. I'm glad this documentary was made to to sort of raise awareness to people who haven't even thought about their social media like this at all. Um, so, and it, and it was interesting. It was a well-made documentary despite uh, some minor stuff I didn't like. So I gave it an eight out of 10. Yeah, I mean, I, I gave it a, I gave it an A. Um, and I, and yeah, as people to the two of us who, who do work professionally in social media, we, 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 we strongly encourage you to watch it. And like, like Cham said, make sure you do watch the credits. Cause that's when they give those, um, that's when they give those tips on healthy, healthy ways that you can adjust your social media usage. I've already been doing some of it myself and it's, it's made me a lot, uh, a lot more focused and a lot more productive. And like, frankly, my mental health has been better through it too. So yeah, I give, I give it an A. 2020 problems, Mike. 2020 problems. That's the social dilemma on Netflix. Uh, moving right along to uh, something completely different. And uh, I'm kind of glad we're getting out of the documentary realm here because that was way too real of a conversation right there. I I need to dive into some some fiction, Mike. I need some fiction in my, or my, in my life. Some, well, some fun adventures. Maybe there's so. a fun, famous fictional detective that we can talk about. Oh, Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> uh, no, not Sherlock Holmes. His sister, Enola Holmes. What? His yes, sister? That's right. A that's 2020 right. mystery film based on the book series by Nancy Springer. It tells the story of the teenage sister of the famous Sherlock Holmes and goes through her adventures as a young, I guess, detective in training is what I would call yeah. it. Yep, the movie's directed by Harry Bradbeer. It stars uh, Millie Bobby Brown uh, as Enola Holmes. Most of you will know her from uh, Stranger Things as Eleven, but she was also in the most recent Godzilla movie, um, which I actually kind of liked, uh, surprisingly. But uh, Superman, Henry Cavill, plays Sherlock Holmes. Sam Claflin is Mycroft Holmes, the oldest brother. Helen and Bonham Carter, Lewis Patridge, and Byrne Gorman, who you might recognize from Game of Thrones, uh, are also in this, as is Adil Akhtar plays uh, Inspector Lestrade, who's yeah, one of my yeah. favorite characters from the uh, Sherlock Holmes books. So as Mike said, this is uh, sort of, it's based on a series of books that um, in the mid-2000s came up, uh, sort of adapting the classic Sherlock Holmes stories and giving him this uh, teenage sister character who sort of follows in his footsteps and at times works alongside him. Um, so Enola Holmes, fun. This movie was uh, set for a theatric release, but instead got thrown onto Netflix because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mike, what did you think of Enola Holmes? I really liked this movie. I thought it was like a good kids movie. It's good for young young girls to watch. And like, you know, um, I, I, I thought they did a good job with uh, the way they, they told the story, the direction. I, they use really quick flashbacks, which I think or help with like the character development without overdoing it. Um, they, spe- they especially did it really smart in one of the fight scenes where they're like flashing back to her almost fight training while she's in a fight. And it was actually really well done. Um, I thought Millie Bobby Brown did a great job. She's an awesome young actress. Uh, really looking forward to see more of what she does with her career. Um, I also just thought there were really good like lines in this movie where I'm like, wow, like that's a, that line is making me think. Um, like there's a line I wrote a couple down. Like one is where, uh, and you, you kind of saw this one making the rounds on social media, but um, uh, Sherlock Holmes is talking to uh, you know a, a woman, and, and she's basically kind of calling him out for like his ignorance of basically what his his sister's life has been and what it's like for women in, in the Victorian era. 
And uh, like, she's like, you know why you don't care about politics? And he's like, oh, because politics is like so boring. And she goes, no, because you have no interest in changing a world that suits you so well. Mm-hmm. When the movie does a great job of showing like how, like, because this kid is a woman, like just the entire world is in so many ways shut out to her. Another really good line is when uh, the mom says to the daughter, like, I can't bear for this world to be your future. Like, yeah. just, just it's hard hitting stuff or for like, which what's a kind of like a teen detective story, like about Sherlock Holmes. Like it's, it's a really well-written, well-acted uh, story. I, I was very impressed by it. Yeah, it's it's sort of like 2020 style Sherlock Holmes, right? It's uh, yeah, it's, it's updating the source material to sort of um, provide a different perspective. And it's it's sort of like an anti Sherlock Holmes in a lot of ways. Um, and I'll explain that in a second. But like I mean, to be let me be clear, I'm a massive Sherlock Holmes fan. He's one of my favorite characters. He might Same. be my favorite literary character of all time. I'm currently reading the the old school adventures of Sherlock Holmes. So I have deep love and appreciation for the character. But what I mean when I say it's sort of the anti Sherlock Holmes is it not so much in the way that the character is, but it's it, it this movie's very much trying to break away from the gender stereotypes and uh, the the sort of things that existed during its time. Right. It's um, you know, like I said, it's not anti Sherlock Holmes, the character, but some of the things you might have stood for, you know, the character, he has very little emotions. He's misogynistic at time. He's somewhat pompous and arrogant. And this movie sort of puts that on its head and flips it to Millie Bobby Brown, who has this mom played by Helena Bonham Carter, who teaches her to be strong and independent and teaches her jujitsu and how to fight and how to shoot arrows and how to go away from all the social norms that women dealt with at the time. And Millie Bobby Brown is constantly fighting against those societal standards throughout the movie where she ends up in this school and it's like a prison to her. Um, so I love that this movie is sort of updating the source material while still paying respects to what the character is um and i thought that was a really smart way to go about it with a movie featuring an actress as charismatic charismatic as millie Bobber brown because you're right she's great man i feel like she's gonna be a future star um how did you like the way they did mystery because we, we get we get we've got like three really big sherlock holmes in our generation we've got you know the Benedict cumberbatch sherlock we've got robert downey jr and we've got uh elementary on CBS, I think it was. Um, and they all like ha- do a little bit of a different take on how does Sherlock think? How does Sherlock solve a mystery? Um, what mm-hmm. was your take on the way they did mystery? Like the way they handled the idea of you're trying to figure something out. How do you do it? So if you're going to bring that up, I mean, honestly, I, that's probably one of the parts of the movie that I felt like was a little bit lacking. I didn't think the core mystery was that compelling. I saw the the, the twist of who the big bad was from a mile away. Um, you know, she's kind of doing detective work throughout it, but it, I guess she's not supposed to be great at it because she's kind of a developing detective or like you said, a detective in training. But the core mystery and the mystery detective aspects are actually what I thought was a little bit lacking ironically it didn't ruin the movie for me because it was just the movie was so full of whimsy and humor and heart and i was enjoying what millie bobby brown was doing on screen like a lot um you know she she's constantly breaking the fourth wall in this movie yeah which i heard it which she actually gets a producer credit on this i heard that was her idea 
which is <laughs> amazing for, I mean, what is she like 16, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so to, 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 for her to be actively bringing in creative choices like that and for the director being like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Like that was par- apparently she's some, something she wanted to do, but I almost looked at her breaking the fourth wall, which is how she, how we, the audience see most of her detective work. I almost looked at it as sort of like a nod to Sherlock Holmes because while he's not really breaking the fourth wall in the stories, he's, routinely explaining things and going on long monologues and proposing questions to, you know, Watson or Lestrade or whoever, but really he's proposing questions to the reader and asking us to ask those questions. So in a way her breaking the fourth wall was her doing that to us and sort of replacing and doing things that Sherlock Holmes used to do. So I kind of appreciated it in that sense. Yeah. Honestly, I thought Henry Cavill's Sherlock was a little, uh, a little empty at times. Like there was a, there was a collected calmness to him that was also very gregarious in a lot of ways, but it was, it was also just very stiff. Like he doesn't do a lot. Like he doesn't say a lot. He doesn't even show much emotion or interest. And it just, I don't know. But isn't, like, that, I, but isn't that consistent with the character of Sherlock Holmes? I mean, if you think the guy, like he kills, like in like the second story, he kills a dog to test out a poison. Like, like Sherlock Holmes is known for be, not having emotions. He, he's very practical. All he cares about is the case and moving on to the next thing. Uh, you know, so to me, that seemed consistent. I sort of liked how, you know, uh, Henry, they were sort of, he was caring, but distant. There is the one scene where he says, I think you're remarkable. So we, we do get a little bit of it there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, Sherlock Holmes, but Sherlock Holmes, that's kind of how he is. He's kind of a dick. Yeah, but I, he's not—he's not a dry, like. I'm sorry, I'm saying he's not a dry dick. <laughs> he's not, he's, yeah. <laughs> he's not, yeah. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> anyway uh, <laughs> he's—I just—I thought he was—I love you, Henry Cavill, but I just thought his Sherlock seems a little dry. Definitely, like nowhere near like the Robert Downey Jr. or the—I don't know—I think Ben Cumberbatch's Sherlock is just almost untouchable. So good. Anyway. I did enjoy I did enjoy uh, Sherlock Holmes sort of doing his explaining shtick to Lestrade at the end. You know, like the thing he does in almost every single one of yeah. his stories. And then he ends up being one-upped by Enola, which is pretty, pretty funny that they're like, that's another way that they're just turning, you know, the, the, the Sherlock Holmes mythos on its head by doing stuff like that. So yeah. I like that. I, I really want to ride in one of those primitive motor cars after watching this movie. That looks like it would be really fun. Although, what do they do in the winter? That's what I want to know. Well, um, well, either way, I think congratulations to uh, all involved. Good movie. Well done, Harry Bradbeer. Well done, Nancy Springer. And definitely well done, Millie Bobby Brown. Congrats on your producing uh, your producing credits, kid. Nice job. I give this movie an A-. I gave it a seven out of 10. Like I said, I think the central core uh, character is great. I love the acting. I liked the overall vibe of the movie. It definitely paid tribute to uh, Sherlock Holmes while still, uh, you know, subverting it and updating it for a 2020 audience. I also think uh, there's a solid setup for some sequels here, um, which seems inevitable. (laughs) Yeah. It already said that they're acknowledging their, uh, you know, their interest to do a sequel. And uh, yeah, I think that'd be good. It's a, it's a good, uh, it's a good addition to the Sherlock Holmes, uh, you know, franchise and, and you know, the legends. I, I, I was impressed by it. Yeah. And anything that can open up new audiences to the glory and the awesomeness that is the legendary Sherlock Holmes is fine in my book. So uh, that's a positive re- review from me and Mike for Enola Holmes. It's on Netflix. 
Um, so moving right ahead. And before we get to Christopher Nolan's tenant, Mike, I just realized that I completely forgot to, uh, do the thing that we said we were going to lead off the show with. And that's, uh, let's talk about this, this South park pandemic special, uh, that, that just aired. Uh, we were going to do this off the top, but I forgot, but I think it's worth touching on and we'll keep you in suspense for our tenant review. Uh, you know, that's Christopher Nolan's kept us in suspense for like a year now with us wanting to see it. So we might as well wait a little longer, but Mike quickly tell us, uh, you watched the, the South park, uh, pandemic special, uh, give us a few minutes on, on what you thought about it and if it's worth for people to check out. All right. So I'm a, I'm a big South Park fan. I didn't really grow up watching it, but uh, Trey Parker came to CMU and I got to hear him talk. And after that, I was like, okay, I got to watch whatever this guy created. This sound like he's awesome. And then I just binged South Park in college and fell in love with it. Um, I, uh, I was, I was curious to see how South Park was going to tackle just 2020 and the pandemic in general. Um, they did a, a one hour special episode. Uh, it premiered on September 30th. Um, and the episode basically kind of follows like three storylines. One storyline is um, with uh, Randy attempting to figure out how to survive with integrity and to find a, a cure for COVID. Also perhaps worrying that maybe he started it. <laughs> like maybe Randy's the guy. Cause he, he did go to China like earlier in like the last season so like now there's like a question of did randy start COVID? um another storyline follows the boys in the school and about how they are uh trying to get through uh uh this is the school year with everything going on and the boys um <laughs> they, they lose all their teachers so the south park police become the teachers and that's the they <laughs> there's a really there's a moment where the, the cops are just like, you know, trigger happy and the boys are fighting and the cops pull out their guns and it's, it's Kyle and Cartman who are fighting and the cops just pull out their guns and they just shoot token. <laughs> it's, it's so like, I hope he's okay. I think he just got wounded in the shoulder, but we don't see token the rest of the episode. So I really don't know. And uh, yeah, like it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty sharp satire on what's been happening with the police. I think kind of the final storyline is just uh, poor, poor Butters just really wants to go to build a bear, but he can't. So uh, Stan is going to try to get him to build a bear. And it ends on a really moving note where Stan basically just like gives a speech about how he just, he wants this to be over. He wants to go back to his normal life. And he just, he misses like the world being a, a normal, like terrible place, but now it's even worse. And when they finally think they have a cure, uh, Mr. Garrison, who or, uh, is basically Donald Trump just comes yeah. out. Yeah. He, uh, they think they have a cure. The moment, the way it ends is just so brilliant. They're like, Oh, we finally have a cure. And then, Garrison just comes out with a flamethrower and just torches the guy and the cure. And then just looks at the camera and goes, remember to vote. <laughs> so, so it's a pretty bleak, uh, it's a pretty bleak satire of what has been happening uh, with our world this year, but it's a brilliant, it's a, it's a pretty brilliant take from South Park. Um, yeah. I see it satirizes aspects of, you know, the U S code response, police brutality, racial unrest, mental health, improper mask wearing, education, xenophobia, divestment from police. So these are all things that are uh, super relevant in 2020. Um, South Park isn't going to miss an opportunity like this. So 
I'm not a big South Park guy. I've never really watched South Park. Uh, I know that might be sacrilegious because a lot of people love it and it's huge in our generation, but I don't know, just never really gotten into it. So I, I didn't really zero this out to watch it. But, um, you know, something that I've been thinking about a lot lately with with Borat 2 coming out in a couple of days here, and uh, we'll probably review that on the next show. But um, maybe there's, uh, you know, with, with everyone all high strung and all the, the tense stuff everywhere, um, do you think it can be helpful to have stuff like this that just pulls out like a no holds barred, make fun of ourselves sort of take? Because I seem to think it could be somewhat therapeutic for the country. Yeah, I think there's a cathartic element to it where you get to watch what's happening. You get to kind of see the experience you're having being told. So it kind of feels like, oh, good. Like I'm not alone. Other people are experiencing this. Everyone else kind of understands. So it's nice to see art like exploring that. It kind of like gives the moment a voice. But it also like does a good job of kind of pointing out like what we are all doing wrong, which I think is kind of an important conversation we need to be having right now because I, I there's just so many different aspects to what South Park like kind of goes into. It's like at the end of the day, like who really is without blame in some sense? Like everyone is kind of making decisions that are contributing to like this going longer or this happening and it is just a really frustrating, complex situation. And it, I'm not saying it's South Park's best episode. There were there were things I would have done a little bit maybe differently with it. But I, I think it's good to use satire right now to reflect on how ridiculous we've all gotten in some ways. I, I was I think we need that more than ever. We need America needs a good talking to. Um, so, yeah. What uh, what grade would you give it? I give it a B. I'd give it a B plus maybe B or B plus somewhere on there. All right. That's the South Park pandemic special. Uh, I know you can watch it probably on, uh, you know, aired on H- Comedy Central, right? H- or, but H- I- HBO go or HBO Max has it, too. That's where I watch ah, it. Where all the good stuff is these days. <laughs> HBO Max. It is worth the investment, people. I've been loving yeah, it. I agree. Anyways, let's move on to our main event. Um, it's a movie that both Mike and I uh, and Evan allegedly uh, have really been wanting to watch and and have been looking forward to for quite some time. It's the latest film from the genius Christopher Nolan, um, who you will know from films like uh, um, Inception, the the Dark Knight trilogy, um, Dunkirk, The Prestige, uh, host Memento, host of other great movies. Great director maybe the best director of our time, but uh, that that's obviously a matter of opinion. It stars John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki, Dimple Kapadia, I think is a Bollywood star, Michael Caine, Michael Caine, and Kenneth Branagh. Uh, the plot summary, armed with only one word, Tenet, in fighting for the survival of the entire world, a protagonist journeys through a twilight world of international espionage, on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time. Uh, Mike, the, the plot of Tenet, um, we've seen teaser trailers for a long, long time for this. The plot has kept been kept under wraps um, really, really well. Um, and even when you watch it, maybe it's hard to, to understand the plot. But uh, what are your first impressions of Tenet? Because we could go a lot of different ways with this one. Well, I didn't get to see it yet. I, I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet because I've been moving and everything. So oh, I, I thought you saw it. That's my bad. No, but so I got to okay. talk about this movie by myself. Well, not just that I'm requesting. And I think a lot of people would request too. can you please do it in a way that doesn't necessarily give everything away just because I still really want to see it. <laughs> okay. This I know this is, is going is ter- to be this is a, tricky. This is, 
terrible way to do a podcast for reviewing stuff. It's like, hey, your other guy, your other co-host hasn't seen it, so don't don't give it away. But review it. Sorry. Um, yeah, but, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll try. I'll try. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I could give it away even if I wanted to because this, like I said, uh, Tenet is a movie. Even from that plot summary, it doesn't really tell you. Um, you know what's going on. We didn't know what the plot of this movie was going to be. And as I said, even people who have watched this movie still don't really understand the plot. I mean, I watched this movie two and a half hours long, super intently in the theater. I read the plot summary on Wikipedia. I watched three videos trying to explain what's going on. And even still, I can't wrap my mind around it. Uh, it's somewhat like Inception. It's a really difficult concept to understand what's going on in this movie it obviously deals with time travel so so like there's a lot it's almost like a distant cousin to inception i think nolan has called it that but right off the jump there's a lot of information being thrown at you um there's names dates places there's a lot of stuff happening on screen we're jumping from place to place for like the first 45 minutes and nothing's really being explained and what I realized when we got to the point when we started to get at least some answers is that you're not supposed to really understand what's going on. You don't need to be preoccupied with all the nitty gritty because you're supposed to be confused. And then halfway through the movie, you sort of it sort of dawns on you. You sort of understand at least what it's trying to do. And you wish that you could go back and watch the start of the movie again. But this this movie has all sorts of the classic Christopher Nolan tropes. There's, you know, frenetic cinematography. There's crazy editing. There's this loud, booming score that's taking place over, you know, the action happening on screen. It's it's very Christopher Nolan to the point. Sometimes the point of the score is drowning out what people are saying. So mm. that's another another reason that, you know, you, you have. um tons of characters giving tons of exposition to the point where it's almost overwhelming. Uh, you, you have the hot chick from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire shows up. Uh, the, the guy from Bo, Bo Batten, uh, or the girl from what's her, her name? name? Is, her name is Flor, Flor Delacour. Thank you. Yeah, she's in this. She shows up. Michael Caine, Michael Caine shows up and he's got like food in his mouth and he's got his accent. So he's hard to understand. So I'm probably making it sound like I hated this movie, right, Mike? um i don't know <laughs> i don't know i haven't seen it um okay i have a couple questions um do you think that this movie did a little too much exposition and there's like too much uh explained and not enough show if you're gonna dock it you do have to dock it for that there is a lot going on and even if the point of the movie is that you don't have to really get all this to enjoy it there is a lot going on it's a lot to wrap your head around when you leave the theater you you I at least had this feeling of, okay, that was pretty enjoyable. I'm a little bit confused and I really want to watch it again. I think rewatchability for this movie would be awesome to rewatch it with sort of the, um, you know, the knowledge of what happens later in the movie. I think it would be a completely different experience. So that's something I would like to do. Uh, John David Washington gives a solid performance as sort of his first uh, go around in, in sort of like a, a lead role as a, as an action hero. I mean, he was in, uh, was it black Klansman? He was in, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I so. Uh, um, so that he's, he's, he's a working actor, but this is sort of his first, you know, big, big blockbuster role. 
I love the score in this. It's sort of like this synthesizer combined with an orchestra and sort of this classical EDM hybrid that's going on the whole time. There's super ambitious, awesome action going on. Um, the you know I'm not going to give away the the sort of uh, MacGuffin or the the main thing that's going on in the story, but it, it creates a situation where you're going to get action you haven't really seen before. And when you're watching that, it's pretty awesome, um, just because it's something different. So next question I have is like, if you could boil down to like boil the story, the characters like down to a theme or like an idea or a message, what would you say that that message is? <sighs> like what, um, what is this movie trying to tell us? I think that's going to be up to the viewer. It's, it has to do with time travel. So it's, it's very clearly, you know, talking about destiny. It's talking about the way that you can manipulate time. It's, it's talking about, you know, uh, what is the, the path that people have set for them and what does it mean for people in the past and present? So like it, it has a lot to do with like how the actions of one person can change something for a bunch of people, way in the future or way in the past. So it sort of looks at time travel as sort of like a set closed root loop sort of style time travel where like one mm-hmm. thing can affect another, um, but you can't really change the past. So it's, it's very much working on some classic themes of time travel, but it's setting it in this sort of like futuristic um, world that we're in where we don't really get too many answers to anything else on the outside of what's actually happening other than this core story. So it's sort of like this weird future world that we're taking place in, but it's, it definitely has some, some old ideas brought to life in new ways. I would say it's an interesting movie. It's, 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 I'm kind of rambling here because it's hard to talk about without having seen the movie. I thought you'd seen it. So. Uh, yeah. Sorry. I just, I mean, I've been, you know, moving. It's, <laughs> it's been a lot. Um, last Not question I have for you is, uh, for someone who's like me, who's like, hopefully going to watch this someday. Um, what advice do you, cause apparently a lot of people are getting very confused by this movie, which is like in some ways good to make people talk, to make people want to rewatch it and really good things. In other ways though, it, it actually might deter some people from finding the film enjoyable. If they're like, I, I really just don't know how to follow. I don't know what's going on. I'm not, I'm not enjoying that because I can't connect to it. What advice would you give people going into the movie on here's how you pay attention. Here's how you watch it. Here's just something to keep in mind to help, like help not get you discouraged if you're losing track of what's going on. Just keep going. Just, just stick it out. I mean, this is a two and a half hour long movie. It's not going to be for everyone. If you're one of those people that can't get through an hour long show without pulling out your phone, don't try and go to the theaters and watch this, but just stick it out. Just, just stick it out. And if about halfway through the movie, start going it, go into it knowing you're going to, I mean, this is Christopher Nolan. You know, you're going to get something that isn't um, what the eye is appearing to be. You know, you're going to get something that isn't what it seems, you know, think, think about how inception taught you to think, think about how you felt about inception or the things you were thinking about after inception. And that will get you thinking along the right lines. But don't get overwhelmed if you're not catching everything right away because there's a lot going on and just sort of sit back and enjoy what is happening and then actually think about it and realize that you're probably going to have to watch this movie again and it's going to be a completely uh, different di- different uh, experience. But, you know, it, it's it's very ambitious. It's in a lot of different ways in the action and the way it's telling the story. 
if I had to knock it for two things, it would be one, it's a very convoluted, complex plot. And two, basically all of our main characters are very surface level. We don't learn much about them as characters. We don't learn much about them beyond what is happening in the here and now in the story. So they don't have a lot of depth, but I don't think that's what Nolan really cared about in this movie. I think he was really more interested you know, exploring time and how the past affects the present and the present affects the future. Um, and we can even see that in the, in the title tenant, it's a palindrome in itself. Whereas right, yeah. the future we're on both sides, it's the same thing. So that's also symbolic of some of the ideas that are going on in the movie. Um, so it's an interesting watch. It's great. There's some really cool action, some really inventive stuff going on. Like I said, you're going to see action scenes that you haven't really seen in movies before. And you might get a little frustrated at the start and you might be like, what the hell is going on? But I think if you stick it out and you really think about it, it's going to be a movie that is going to stand the test of time. Um, I liked it quite a bit. I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. So that's Tenant. Sorry for the little curveball there. For some reason, I thought Mike had seen it, but uh, that's okay. I'm, I'm glad that I'm going to be curious for you to for you to see it and see how uh, maybe you can go back and listen to this and see if you agree with what I was saying um, <laughs> without the knowledge of the film. But I yeah. think you'll find it interesting for sure. Um, and that's good to give her, you know, not a lot of people have seen Tenet because a lot of people aren't going to the theater right now. Um, and that's the only place to see it. So um, it's good to sort of give a non-spoiler review, I think, anyways. Anyways, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Second Day Film Podcast. Um, appreciate everyone for listening. Uh, check out our Facebook page. Please rate and review the podcast. Check us out on social media. Hit me and Mike up. Uh, anything else you want to add, Mike? You want to take some shots at Evan or anything? <laughs> no, no, I got no shots at Evan. We love you, buddy. Um, do want to say, though, viewers, uh, be excited for a potential Halloween-themed uh, uh, event we might have coming up on the Second Day Film Podcast. We might do another uh, another uh, little uh, team, uh, team uh, face-off. Draft. draft. Team draft, that's right. Yes. Character draft. Yes, we're kicking around some ideas. We definitely want to do something for the Halloween and get in the Halloween spirit. We like to we like to be timely around here at the Second Day Film Podcast. So uh, Halloween's a great time of year for film and cinema and, and TV. So we definitely want to explore some of that. Um, but like I said, thanks for listening. Uh, we appreciate you. We'll be back with some more reviews and some fun stuff uh, down the road. But until next time, we'll see you at the movies. <laughs>